Sigel, and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane, and joining me is my co-host Regan DeLoggins. Um, Got to we we're, we're going to talk about something on this show that I covered somewhat in my Let's Talk Native podcast, and and I'll explain that I'll explain why uh, in just a little bit. But first, let me remind people again that we are listener-supported radio. We uh, are proud to be a part of the WBAI and the WPFW family. We hope if you're listening to this program that you're supporting those stations. If you're listening in New York, I'm hoping that you're supporting WBAI. And you can do so by going to the phone lines. Go to 212-209-2950. Or you can go online to give to WBAI.org. You can make a donation of any size. You can become a regular uh, sponsor uh, through the Buddy program. Um, you can do a timed donation. However, whatever you are comfortable with and whatever you can do, we hope that you will do. Uh, same with WPFW. If you are listening in Washington, D.C., I hope that you'll go to the phone line. That's 202-588-9739. Or you can go online to WPFWFM.org. And the same thing. Go follow the prompts. You can uh, make a donation uh, of any size uh, and and in several different ways. And that's what we hope you will do. I hope you will treat this program as the premium. This is what we are giving you in thanks, uh, as our thanks to you donating to, to the station. And it's what the stations are giving to you. They're, they're, they're allowing uh, a native voice, or two native voices, I should say, um, on their airwaves to cover issues that... Uh, that may be offering a perspective you hadn't considered before. And that's usually what we try to do. All right, so here's the deal. I was trying to get, get Regan to join me on my podcast because I just, I got to tell you, I, I'm just so impressed with the the background information and the, the strong conviction that, that, that you, Regan, that you show on, on almost every issue. And I was... I, you know, I, I, I'm tired of being referred to, as far as Native people, being referred to as environmentalists. Because I don't think that shoe necessarily fits. Because, look, envir- the um, environment isn't something separate than what we, you know, it, it's, not, it's not something that's separate from us. So I don't call ourselves environmentalists. I call ourselves land defenders. And, and in defending the land, we are really defending part of our identity because we are we are defined by the land that we live on. It's it's why we have a word ungwe ungwe. It's it describes a, a it literally translates to like a real human being. But to be real or to be original means you have to have an origin story to the land that you're on. So when I talk about being a land defender, um, that's also not a, not a movement. It's not it's nothing new. It's something that we've been doing for a long time. So what I was really hoping to do on my podcast was to to get Regan to, to weigh in on this 500 year battle against capitalism. And, and I'm not saying it's one that has been always geared about destroying capitalism, but certainly resisting capitalism and trying to keep it in check. Now, on my podcast, I still had two great guests. I had Paul Winnie, who was a uh, uh, activist from the Seneca Territory of Tonawanda, and I had um, a Seneca elder, Ed Schindler, joining me. And we, you know, we we got the job done on my podcast, but there was, to me, there was still something missing in the conversation, and so that's what I'm hoping we can do here. So, so Regan, um, I'm I'm hoping this is what we that you have, you know, that you can contribute to this conversation. Well, first, let's make sure y'all can hear me, okay? <laughs> oh, sure, we can. <laughs> okay, great. That's always that's always the first thing is I want to make sure that y'all can hear me. Uh, loud and clear. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to join the podcast this week. But uh, when you when we were texting about this uh, this topic in particular, I really did. Uh, I like um, your the discussion that you were that we were starting to have is this idea, like you said, of being an environmentalist. And I hate uh, I hate the term. Uh, I think it assumes that environmentalism is a hobby um, or something that. You can a movement, check in, right? <laughs> yeah, a movement or something you can check in and out of, um, you know, like, but the reality is, you know, as indigenous people, we aren't environmentalists and often the environmentalist movement and environmentalist networks are co-opted from indigenous leadership, from black leadership by white nonprofits. 
So I think that that's also a really important conversation to be had in terms of like what is environmentalism uh, in terms of how we define ourselves as indigenous people, but also how the environmentalist movement has co-opted so much of its language, so much of its calls to action from the work of black and indigenous people and how we as black and indigenous people are criminalized for it. But people like Jane Fonda can continuously be arrested and it, it's not gonna affect her life in any negative way because she's a white celebrity with money. And I bring her up Good particularly point. because she is so well integrated into um, anti-pipeline movement, specifically Line 3 and the Honor the Earth movement. And I always find it so interesting when, when, uh, when white people join environmentalist movements as if, uh, and honestly, it's part of white saviorism. We can't divorce white environmentalist movements from white saviorism because the reality is the fact that we have to have an environmentalist movement in the first place is because of capitalism and colonialism. So exactly. I feel as though often we're just placating the guilt of people who have enacted all of this violence and genocide that has caused these issues in the first place. So no, I would never call myself an environmentalist. I'm a land defender. I'm a water protector. I, I am currently fighting uh, charges against me for that work, uh, for you know showing up for the land and waters, for putting myself on the line. I was in jail for it. And so like, there, there is a larger conversation to be had about what it looks like to be an environmentalist and what it looks like to be a protector. And they're very different roles. And one is a role within community with being in harmony with land and waters, which I think is a really important point that you brought up. We aren't divorced from nature, uh, which I think the environmentalist movement uh, attempts to try to sell, but they are unsuccessful in doing so, mostly because so many white people are divorced from nature. They don't understand that we exist in harmony with the natural world. We're not in competition with the natural world. And so I think that that is a right. big part of this conversation is this idea of being in competition with nature. We're not in competition with nature. We are one with nature. Well, and, and uh, one of the things that I think is really important to message uh, to, to mention here is that there's also a difference when it, it, when it comes to motivation. Um, if you are fighting uh, because you're afraid that climate change is going to affect you now, or that it is some, or, or there, there's something in the environment that is hazardous to you, that's a little different than the concept of seven generations, and and that we that as land protectors, as water protectors, that we aren't just doing it for ourselves. We are doing it for uh, for our kids, our grandkids, and for those faces, as we say, that we will never see, those unborn faces. And, you know, we get into this conversation, and this is where it gets back to capitalism. Capitalism is always about how much wealth you can extract from, a, from the land, from a region. But not just how much, how short the window is that you can do it. So there's a time factor in there. And so when they talk about return on investment, look, you're, you're talking about, you know, rich white men who they want to see the profit from their investment and from their work. They want to see it not just in their lifetime. They want to see it as, as soon as possible. And when you consider, and I don't even like to use the, these two expressions together, but if you've got a return on investment that is, that is geared towards seven generations, towards a, your family members that you will never even get a chance to meet, well, that's a completely different concept. So when we talk about being a land protector, we're not even just doing it for us as human beings. We're, we are trying to um, make sure that, that man is not throwing everything so far out of balance that our lives, the lives of other, uh, other parts of creation aren't, aren't adversely affected. Look, we aren't fighting for the spotted owl just because we think that the bird is cool. I mean, we know that there's a, that ecosystems 
have this relationship between all of us. I mean, we can't, like you said, we can't divorce ourselves from nature. We can't divorce ourselves from all of the other creatures and all the other parts of creation that are affected by environmental de degradation. So I think there's, exactly. there's a time factor here that makes a big difference on who we are as native people, what we're fighting for, what the long-term goals are, because we have a different view of time. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because um, it was something I was actually discussing earlier with a friend, which is this idea of time being linear. And first of all, time isn't linear. Uh, there's, you know, the way that we measure time is actually an incredibly colonial construct and not the reality of how lived experiences exist. And so I, I also want to, to, um, to like elevate what you were just saying about, I don't just do this for my people uh, like contemporarily. And then I don't just do it for the future. I also do it for the past. I do it for the people who have been doing this for longer than I will ever do it. I do it for my ancestors who have been doing this work, who died doing this work, who were forgotten doing this work. Uh, you know, like it's, it's not just in this moment, oh, we need to, and that's, and that's another thing that capitalism requires of you. As you said, it's, it's this, this time limit. We have to, in this moment, accept this crisis and therefore react. But the reality is that this, we have been in crisis for so long. And that's why we have to look to indigenous and black leadership in environmentalist movements, because we carry the memory of our ancestors who have been doing this work for time immemorial, because we are the stewards of the land. I protect the land because the land protects me. Like who, who else will stand for the waters if not us? Who else stands for the memories within those waters if not us? Well, and, and, uh, and again, this goes to my point that the fight and or fights that we are involved in now are, are really just a continuation of the struggles that we've had for five, for five centuries. I mean, look, we may not be um, suffering from the massacres and from what, what people now can look at as clear atrocities, but, but what we're fighting for is, is still land it's land use. It's not just occupation. It's not just uh, are they stealing our lands. Look, if we're trying to fight a pipeline that has the potential to contaminate an entire native village, how is that any different than fighting for our territorial boundaries, if you want to call it that, um, two, three, four hundred years ago? I mean, so you're right. When we're, when we're fighting this stuff, this is a continuation of a, of a fight. This is the same fight that continues and it, it and it changes a little bit here and there but you know it's funny as, as you go from what europeans called the age of discovery to colonialism to imperialism it was all driven by profit by money by motivation of greed and well so capitalism was was behind all of it so the th the very things that we're fighting now and and it, it's 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 some of that same thing it's still greed it's still capitalism. It's still land use. It's still, you know, the, the buying and it, the commodification of our lands. It's still all of that. I also want to push back on what you're saying that maybe, uh, and I know this isn't what you were saying, but I do want to just push back on it, is I don't, I think that the movements that we are part of now are, of course, interconnected, but the violence is just as overt as it was in the past. Like massacres still happen. They just happen differently, you know. Why? Why? I mean, perfect. A perfect example is when we talk about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, trans, and Q spirit people. That is an ongoing massacre. That is an ongoing genocide that is happening contemporarily in these moments every day. So I think that. Well, and, and I and I thank you. I thank you for that pushback because I, I'm just trying to draw a distinction about how people will characterize that kind of violence but but you're right because really violence has, uh, also is one of those things that can be measured in a time factor so yeah maybe there isn't you know there, you know we aren't suffering a mass killing today but if you look over a period of time and if you look at what this has meant generationally and everything from I mean, look if if you create um, a scenario where life is unsustainable that is, uh, you know, that's still a death sentence. So, so you're, you're absolutely right. And I, and I thank you for doing that. I also, you know, I think that we experience, we experience the violence that our ancestors experienced and we just package it differently. 
Um, and people have, be, and, and the reason, and one of the reasons why that is so sec- successful in this packaging is because we've cap, we've, uh, we've packaged everything through the eyes of capitalism. So people assume they can't go to the front lines because they have to work to pay their rent. You know, they, they think that they can't put their bodies on the line because, oh, if I have a charge, I'm unhirable. And therefore, if I can't be hired, I can't pay my rent, can't put a, a roof over my head, I can't feed my children. So a lot of the fact that people aren't showing up for environmentalist movements, I'm putting that in quotes because I hate the terminology, but a lot of the reason people don't show up for frontline work is because we are so entrapped by capitalism. So it's, it's, it's interconnected. That's a that's a really really good point because you're right. I mean, when when people start you know, assessing how strongly they will oppose something or whether they will oppose something, and they've got to say, well, you know, this could affect my future. What they really mean is that it could affect their 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 pay their their pay. It could affect their career. And the reality <laughs> is, I mean, f your career. I don't care about your career. Your career is so selfish, and it doesn't matter in the scheme of nature life and this fake timeline that we've been forced into the reality is that the water and the land have needed us forever they need us now more than ever because it's the continuation of raping and pillaging of our lands and our earths and our waters and our people like this isn't a oh i can donate money or oh i'll recycle more it's a you need to show up because it, it, it has a greater impact than your career in this one lifetime that you're living. Well, and, and, and to, to another point, I mean, those people who say, well, I'm willing to pay a few more dollars for my power if, it, uh, if it's coming from green energy. I, I got to tell you, look, I'm not opposed to um, solar panels or, or windmills, but I do Solar panels require resource extraction well, for them to be to be useful. Well, I, well, and, and again, but the, the biggest problem that I have with, with any of that kind of utility scale uh, green power, so to speak, is that it, it demolishes ecosystems. You're talking about putting, you know, glass over acres and acres of, uh, uh, you know, of, of uh, you know, viable lands. I mean, uh, we, we saw this in, in a fight up here um, on an old uh, Seneca territory called the uh, Kanawagas, where they're this this big development for what they call the horseshoe solar farm. They were going to put hundreds of acres under glass, and and why? Because that's what they consider the critical mass that they they need to make it economically viable. So it has nothing to do with with green power. It has to do with profit. Same thing with with windmills. Why do you think they have to pill, they they have to you know put these windmills? over hundreds and hundreds of acres of land and create these massive sol- uh, wind farms. It's because it's about critical mass for their, uh, for their profitability. It has nothing to do with, with just the idea of for using the wind to generate power. But the other thing that it does, and this is my, my friend Paul Winnie was the one who brought this up. It doesn't, whatever power gets produced is still being consumed right along the side, right alongside, you know, these, these, uh, once coal-fired uh, power plants that are now gas-fired power plants. So you're just creating more energy to consume. This isn't about conservation. This isn't about, well, we're going to save energy. You know, the, the, everybody's looking for the next silver bullet that's going to allow everybody to continue the same lifestyles that they've gotten grown accustomed to. Nobody's looking at, well, what can I do to improve? not energy de- dependent that's not extractive industry dependent that's that's a major problem i also think that that is something that needs to be pushed back on in terms of when we discuss um, anti-capitalism and anti-colonialism is that we have to uh reckon with the fact that our lives will be different post-colonialism post-capitalism we will not have the same things that we have now on the same scale that we have them now and that's a good thing that should not scare people, but rather honor them into the space to bring them in. It should be an invitation. Because the reality is your solar panels that take up hundreds of acres and your windmills and all those things, they are still on indigenous land without consent. And they're still created to be sold. They go from, like you pay for that. Like energy is a human right. Everyone should have access to energy. And it's, it's an incredible thing to, to commodify 
So even the green movement is about capitalism. It's still to commodify what's considered a cleaner, renewable energy resource that will then be sold to people. And of course, when we talk about selling well, and, and it's com- to people, and it's we're not going to. It's commodi- It's commodifying land. I mean, look, you're, exactly. you're telling you know the small farmer that can no longer make you know a, a sustainable life you know producing you know food or or whatever even <laughs> commodities agro commodities you're telling them yeah just to let us cover your your cover that land that you were tilling with with glass or let us put you know you know 300 uh, you know mega windmills you know on this land and you can still collect a collect a paycheck so you're right all of this is still about commodifying the land because regardless of whether you're extracting um, a a mineral or a fuel or or something out of out of the land you are still occupying the land with all of these you know with all of this this money making equipment i think that another uh, point to consider is often when green deals are marketed to the general public it's under this assumption that, um, well, we'll create it on a large scale and therefore you will have access to these things on a large scale. But the reality is that creates dependency on the settler state. Because if you have a large, let's say, let's just say solar panels, you have hundreds of acres covered in solar panels and that's meant to power, let's say a town. Well, that town is now dependent on the state for that energy. And the reality is that if we're talking about renewable energy resources, they need to be localized. We need to have localized sources for localized communities so that communities can maintain sustainable, I'm gonna use the term economy, but that's not what I mean, sustainable movements or mutual aid networks without dependency on a management company to tell us or to charge us for the right to have energy resources. So sustainability means that we have to break away from dependency on the settler colonial state. Absolutely. And, you know, and the other thing is, you know, to kind of to your point is look how green green power is is sold, you know, politically. It's sold as the next billion dollar industry. They still put a price tag on it and they still have to to sell it in dollars and cents. They've got to tell you all oh, the, the, you know, green energy um, is, you know, is going to be the new boon. It's going to produce this many jobs. It's going to produce this much revenue. It's, and and that's how it gets sold. It never gets sold about quality of life because nobody's quality of life Im- improves even with with so-called green energy i mean it it, it still is about you taking up large swaths of uh of land and it's not just taking it from us i mean l- look you, you can't tell me that covering uh, you know several hundred acres in uh in solar panels isn't going to affect the wildlife that's uh, that's beneath it and, and 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 obviously we know that you know that windmills have you know certainly have impacts on ecosystems so i mean this is not it's not about i mean look most people all they care about is throwing that light switch on they don't care where the power comes from and in fact like i said they may say look i'll pay a few dollars extra per kilowatt if i can be if i can feel better about it because it's coming from you know uh, a, a windmill a wind farm in texas or something like that which is absurd but that's that's the that's the logic that that people are are being trained to to accept. Well, you're also trained to accept that you're going to buy something from a company. That company is going to provide it for you. That company is divorced from the state, and that's not the reality. Like for example, National Grid. National Grid is putting a pipeline through North Brooklyn. It is going to it is going to because we know this is what pipelines do. It is going to spill. It's already had many explosions. It's going to adversely affect the black and brown communities that it goes through, and people are rallying against National Grid. Of course, as they should. National Grid also receives a huge amount of funding and pro- and provides a lot of funding to local politicians. So it's interconnected. We can't divorce privatized companies from government agencies because in fact, they're working in a cacophonous harmony with one another to continue to screw us over so that we participate in these green economies when in fact the green economy is just meant to as you said create more capital and profit for wealthy rich white people it's not going to the community it's not like they're teaching people how to skill share how to make their own solar panels or how to 
erect their own windmills. That's not the intention. The intention is to make people dependent on the state through a new lens. And this new lens is the Green New Deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think solar power and, uh, and wind power is great, but it doesn't necessarily have to be um, <laughs> be utilized. Look, I get warmed. I get personally get warmed going out in the sun. I mean, uh, I you can use wind energy to dry your clothes. I mean, there's a lot of other ways of of slicing that down that are that is not about these mega utilities or these utility scale uh, developments that uh, uh, you know that are trying to again um, even. I mean, look, a lot of it's 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 um, fossil fuel industries that are that are leading the way with some of this, uh, the so-called green green energy. And part of it is is about buying energy credits and that kind of stuff. It's 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 not really about shifting um, us away from the way we've always done things. Can I can I no. just say one thing? <laughs> Regan, I loved listening to you. Walk on the street, hearing birds singing, <laughs> my children in the now. background. Uh, the fact that you can do that, you're doing this show while <laughs> while you are living the life is just wonderful. I just, I can tell you, I can I can hear it in the background, and it's not distracting at all for me. I'm just listening, and, I'm, I, and your life is un, uninterrupted. It's just, it's just great. <laughs> Walk I my dog because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm smiling. I'm smiling as I'm, <laughs> as I'm listening to you. you know. <laughs> Which is funny because I I, oh, I see my Thank I imagine you. that people witnessing me walking down the street like yelling about this. Uh, I hope that I hope that it, it <laughs> at least is educating people as I do so. But I do want to add on to look at that crazy, this look at that crazy person. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. Look at the, the, the crazy Indian walking down the street. <laughs> but I do I do want to add to this conversation that I think is really um, important is that there is a reason that solar panels and I'm going to I using solar panels as a as a example, because it's something that I'm most familiar with because um, we install them at the community garden that I work at. And it's incredible to learn how to install um how to install solar panels. And it's also incredible to learn the amount of technology that goes into a solar panel that is also part of extractive industries. You know, like we're talking about glasses and plastics and all these things that are often related to the, con you know, it, it, it's from natural resource extraction. You know, these things don't exist in a void. They've been created from the earth as well. So even solar panel industry participates in continued resource extraction. And that's the reason that we have to divorce the term industry from it. You know, there shouldn't be industry. There shouldn't be a green deal industry. There shouldn't be a solar panel industry. And the, the, the reason that I bring that up is because a lot of that education is withheld from community about how to create solar panels or other methodologies of sustainable um, energy, renewable energy. And that is one of the biggest reasons why I find the Green New Deal to be so uh, predatory is because it maintains capitalism. It maintains profit. And its intention is to create profit. It's not to create or provide people with a sustainable, renewable energy resource. Its intention is to make money off of people. So if people are interested in renewable energy, do not look to companies that are trying to sell it to you. Learn the skills that you need in order to put it into your own home. And of course, that's very difficult as well in New York City, where most of us rent apartments. You know, like we can't, a lot of us can't install solar panels or uh, get renewable energy in different ways. You know, even gathering rainwater in New York City is like a whole deal. Like you have to, you have to like apply for permits to do these things on large scale. So I, I think that th there's a larger conversation to be had in terms of how the education around renewable and sustainable energy is withheld from populations specifically from poor populations, from black and brown populations and from urban populations so that we don't do it on our own. The intention is for us to rely on a company and that company relies on politicians. It's all interconnected. So I'm not trying to participate in any industry and definitely not in a Green New Deal industry. Well, and and look, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, kind of Take this to a conversation uh, about where we are. I mean, I, I've talked about that trajectory of discovery and colonialism and imperialism, but there's a reason that Europeans left Europe. 
they knew what um, what land looked like that was used up. They knew what a- extraction had done to land. They knew what um, what what man's you know contamination to whether it was city streets or, or you know or, or whatever. They they knew what that was. That that's why they left. And and they, you know they thought well there's a, now here's a pristine place. I mean it, it was less about about religious freedom and that kind of stuff. And it, it was about the opportunities they saw by leaving what was used up. And and here's my point. My point is, if we're really, we know that that climate change is, is, not, is not just real, but it's upon us. This isn't something we're going to stop. This is something we've got to learn how to adjust to and how to adapt to and, and how not to make worse. But I got to tell you, when, when sea levels rise and, uh, and you know, 10 million people are displaced in the New York City area, or you know, or you know, or, or half that many in, from Miami, or, or or any place else that that is going to be impacted by you know by rising sea levels. Where do you think those people go? Where I mean, and so to the extent that that we have seen um, an invasion, so to speak, as native people of people who have who had left an area that that you know, was, was limited in uh, in prospects for the future, we're going to see more of that. Look, you're right. I mean, how do you 10 million people or 8 million people in the New York City area, how can they really adjust their lifestyles to accommodate um, the collapse of the grid? I mean, yeah. out, you know, or the rise or the ri- or rising sea levels. Eventually, some of that there is going to be an exodus out of some of these major, major population centers, and they got to go someplace, folks. So when we talk about a refugee crisis, what you're, what, what's inevitably going to happen is some of our native lands, as small as they are, are going to look more and more appealing to you know to a people who are looking for a place. Well, I also want to add to that. This is not a new. Um, this is not a new conversation. Like, for example, like you're you're talking about the reason that settlers left Europe was because Europe uh, was devastated by the industry by by industry and also by just by the encroaching and growth of capitalism married to Christianity. Because we can't ignore the fact that capitalism and Christianity were sure. um, intertwined purposefully and strategically in order to be successful. Um, what, but they needed each other to be successful, to create a hierarchy, and that hierarchy needed to be divine in order for it to, 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 to permeate into the, the general populace. But I think that something that we don't talk about often and is on my mind because I'm reading a book about it right now is the intention, even as the founding fathers, you know, of this of this so-called country, the intention was to expand. The reason that the Revolutionary War was fought was to expand into what is known as the Northwest Territory into so-called Ohio. That was the intention always. And even before this so-called country was 100 years old, even before the centennial, the United States was already occupying the Philippines, Guam, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico, specifically as a means to not just land grab, but to mine for resources. So this is not just a, oh, look, you know, this is an issue now. Even at the time of the creation of this so-called country, and even at in the late 1800s, early 1900s, with the growth of imperialism, the intention of this country has always been to be, to reap benefits, to to extract resource and to create profit. It's never been about being a sustainable uh, nation. It's never been about being a peaceful nation to, to take care of its people. It's been about exploitation because this country is so uh, so defined by capital and by capitalism that it cannot look beyond that. So imperialism, you know, you know for people who are unaware, the United States is an, imper- is an empire. It's an imperialist nation. It literally owns territories. That is the definition of an empire. And if you're unaware of that, Puerto Rico is an excellent and horrible example of an ongoing colony that the U.S. owns. Guam, the, the Samoa, 
you know, like these are these are all places that are currently occupied and have consistently been occupied by U.S. military force. And also the U.S. military is one of the largest polluters in the world and continues to pollute uh, the, the island of Guam with constant testing that affect who? The indigenous population, the Chamorro people. So I think that we can't divorce the fact that the U.S. as a as an empire has been participating in empirical methodologies since its inception. The intention of the U.S., even as colonies from Britain and then uh, during the revolution and ongoing into this moment, into the contemporary, into right now, is resource extraction. This is not a country. It is a company. Well, and and, and to your point, and I want to reiterate what you had said at the beginning of this. Um, most people don't read the Declaration of Independence and understand what they're reading. <laughs> there, there is a passage in there that, that specifically talks about the limitations that uh, King George was putting on land expansion. And, and I'm not defending King George by any means, but, but the colonists were pissed that they could not just overrun whatever native territories there were. The, uh, the UK was trying to their their whole idea was to try to subjugate the native populations make them part uh, you know assimilate and subjugate uh, native people into um uh, under the crown that that was their their hope they knew that, that that was difficult and but colonists said oh hell no we'll just drive them we'll keep driving people away and what what king george was really trying to do was trying to limit the territorial expansions because he was concerned about the sustainability of maintaining uh, peace uh, and you know sustainability on those those frontiers. That was why the, that was one of the major contributing factors to the revolution was because there were wealthy white men who wanted who who just saw more and more opportunity. Because you know you you talked about this this idea of, of expansionism. This is how th this whole concept of economic growth happens. Look you get to a place where you are no longer sustainable unless you can throw more and more land, more and more resources, uh, more and more people, whether it's slavery or whether it's slave labor or slave wages. This is how companies, how empires, these imperialistic nations of both Europe and, and the United States, that's how they expand their so-called economies because they they are not sustainable and they require more and more and more the, the, the earth isn't getting any bigger and now that the, so much imperialism has taken um you know has taken its its share of lands that have been sliced and diced now it turns back on itself so this is one of those things where many of the settler colonial class colonial class is finding themselves in the same boat as we are. Now you're starting to see, you know, uh, small farmers and, and and people who are being driven out of business, and all of a sudden, damn, they're feeling they're feeling like native people. And you know, I want to I want to backtrack to what you were saying about the revolution because it's so important, and the way that um, that people are taught the the revolutionary history is so wrong because it's meant to maintain the benign mythos of this like fantastical creation of this country built on liberty and justice and freedom and religious right and but it you know mind you that's all fantastical that that narrative is not real um it, it's it's been fed to us in order to to, to so that we accept it but when we talk Propaganda about no is, taxation yep. Yeah, when we talk about no taxation without representation, why were the colonists being taxed so high? Because the crown, the British crown, had to continue to hire more soldiers to protect this line because colonists continued, this geographical line, mind you, this barrier, this this make-believe border, um, because colonists continued to- The frontier, to, yeah. Yeah, the frontier continued to usurp that and go into indigenous territories. So, which, and, you know, again, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to uh, mimic what you were saying. I'm not trying to say that I'm I'm, I'm trying to hang out with King George either, uh, <laughs> but it's just an important it's an important factor for people to understand when learning American history because it changes how you view this so-called country rather as 
not this benign state of, of freedom and justice, but a predatory nation based on resource extraction. And if you understand that narrative, you can see the through line from its insemination to contemporary times and hopefully act upon it. Because the, the whole point of education is not just to learn it so that we hoard the resources and hoard this, this uh, knowledge, but rather so that we act upon it. So when when John and I are on the radio, you know, we're talking about this and we're and we're and we're really, you know, this is a labor of love, but it's also meant to inspire and to call in people who are hearing to understand that this through line is to activate you into understanding and to radicalize you to hear the call that that we as indigenous people make that uh, that that we as uh, oppressed people uh, make that it is time now to 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 listen rather than to constantly be at odds with the reality that the United States is an imperialist nation. It's a nation based on resource extraction. The entire history is that of oppression. It is not something to celebrate or to find hope in. It is something to challenge because in fact, it's in, in co complete contradiction to sustainable methodologies. It's in concrete, complete contradiction to having a sustainable life way. And we see that as the US continues to create colonies, to create territories. We see these wars in the Middle East for continued resource extraction of oil. We see the US invade um, invade indigenous territories with pipelines like these are this is all this is all an interconnected conversation about how this so-called country is an empire and its intention is to make money and to profit and empires always have a small amount of people that see the benefits of that and so the majority of us will never will never witness the capital that we want to witness. Most of us will never be wealthy and we'll never have the amount of money that so many of us admire that celebrities may have or, or business moguls may have. It, it's part of this larger Ponzi scheme to participate in this narrative of a benign America so that you aren't, so that you don't activate and threaten the dependency that the settler state has on us as laborers. Yeah, I, I, I think it really is important that people realize that um, that they've been lied to and, and that so much of what is taught as history is is propagandized and, and, and is meant to be manipulative. Look, the reason we talk about the things that we talk about is it, it's our hope that the same atrocities or similar atrocities will not be repeated. I mean, that's I mean, that's why we we do what we do. I mean, look, there is much of what Martin Luther King and, and others like him have said that I think are inspirational. But I'll tell you, when I when I hear the I have a dream speech and I hear, you know, MLK suggesting that, you know, that the United States needs to live up to the promise of its creed. Look, <laughs> I know what that creed was and I, and I know how much of it was was BS. I mean, and and. So the idea that we're that we're being lulled into this into this dreamlike state, like we can we can be all those wonderful things, if we're going to ignore slavery for what it was, if we're going to ignore genocide for what it is, if we're going to ignore what the United States has done in the, the so-called industrial revolution to, I mean to to be the largest single contributor to global, um, you know. Um, uh, climate change and, and global warming. I mean, that's that's the reality. And when you look at the the that that much of this has happened in, it's not hundreds of years. It's I mean, it's it's literally decades. I mean, and yes. and I I think that we we can get lulled into this false sense that you know the Earth's healing properties and healing powers. Yes, and the, our mother does have all that. But you know. I get back to that, that time factor again. There's only so much that any of us can endure in terms of injury on top of injury. And that includes, uh, includes you know, the planet. The, the planet can only absorb so much mistreatment before there is degradation. And, and look, we, when we hear, talk about saving the planet, I, I, we gotta be clear, the planet's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, but the, the life on it may. 
and that's we're, we're trying to save it for ourselves and and if we don't then we've got nobody else to blame i mean i mean shame shame on mankind for for what it has put all of creation through it's it's an incredible atrocity an incredible one i you know i find i find these conversations that we're talking about so obviously important um but the the the, the i guess what i'm the, what i'm trying to say is that i want people to understand that colonialism and capitalism and imperialism are synonymous and that we yes. have defined them differently and compartmentalized many of their traits differently and often assign them to other places when we talk about empire we talk about rome and we talk about the glory of rome when we talk about co colonies we often talk about india as a colony of britain and when we talk about capitalism, we often talk about it as this amorphous thing that we can't battle and we can't fight. And the reality is that all three of those are interconnected. And even those histories that I just uh, that I just you know brought up, they're also interconnected. But imperialism is colonialism is capitalism, and we can't have if if people are an anti-capitalist, they have to be an anti-colonialist, and they have to be an anti-imperialist. You can't pick and choose. Because they're all interconnected because in the end, it's all about the continued resource. It's continued resource extraction, resource extraction for, for profit. You know, it's subjugation of people as laborers, subjugation of people uh, of land as a resource. Like it's it's all in conversation with one another. And so I often see people try to parse those things out differently. Like, oh, the U.S. was a colony. Um, but it's not an empire. It's a capitalist state. No, the U.S. is all three of those things. It is a colony. It's also participating in colonialism. It's an empire and it's a capitalist state. And they must all be in harmony with one another to be successful. And so I really bring that up because I, I want people to understand that if you claim to be an anti-imperialist, then you also need to start being an anti-capitalist because em empire and resource extraction and uh, profit are all interconnected. You can't remove the land. And what are they connected to? Land and people. You can't remove land and people from literally any conversation that you have ever. Well, and you know, and of course, the other thing that the United States um, throws around the other word or concept is democracy. I mean, oh God, they'll I hate refer it. To, <laughs> to, to to Israel as a democracy. You know, oh, they'll refer Lord. to the United States as a democracy and and about freedom and that kind of stuff. There is not one moment in U.S. history that there was an that there was anywhere near enough people participating in in government in the we the people to ever qualify the United States to be legitimately referred to as democracy and 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 i'm not even a fan of democracy because it's um, essentially democracy is mob rule it's this idea that somehow the majority is always going to know better than the minority well i'm i'm sorry i see this time and time again where what is popular amongst the public is so manipulated by propaganda by news by government by celebrity that the people are incapable of understanding what's what's really happening well that's why radical education is so necessary because it, it really does awaken um you know it really awakens and activates people to look beyond these uh status quo methodologies that we're told or pedagogies that were that were taught that you know this idea of democracy being like it's like like a democracy is better than everything when it's not that you know we look at how democracy has been exercised in this so-called country and it is you know it's a problem it's problematic it's violence like democracies are violent um well so and, I, I really... and the, the what they're what they're describing as democracy is usually depriving whole segments of 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 a people from participating in those in, in those very things they call a democracy and we see that exactly. with you know with voter restriction we see this thing you know we see it with you know, with literacy tests, we see this yeah. with, you know, with how certain people are subjugated in different ways. And uh, yeah, it's, it's anything. The way but, that democracy but, is exercised is, is it's an oligarchy. Like we live in an oligarchy 
and the people that rule th that are in the oligarchy class are um, industry moguls and politicians who are all you know in this inevitable circle jerk together so i think that there is a you know it, it, it's democracy isn't real the way that it has been marketed to the global public is not real and it's often used to justify imperialism like we're bringing democracy to iraq we're bringing democracy to afghanistan when these are countries that were uh incredibly um you know these are these the are, cradles these are countries of civilization that were in, right <laughs> but the cradles of civilization but also countries that were invaded for resource extraction so you know what exactly. democracy the way that democracy has been um packaged versus the way that it's exercised is democracy is a way to uh justify resource extraction and it's it's the way that we saw the bush administration push its way into the middle east and start a war um under this guise of justice and freedom when and democracy and bringing democracy i mean i also i you know I, like I think of Central America and the global South that has been so uh, screwed over by this narrative of democracy when uh, when these countries often vote in their own forms of government that are often like in, uh, indigenous led. And then you see a coup that was sponsored by the CIA and the justification was, well, we had to bring democracy. No, the reality is that there is a resource that you needed to extract and you needed to maintain capitalist interests within this area. You weren't bringing anything to these people. You're just continuing the growth of an empire. You're continuing subjugation. So when I hear democracy, I, I hear empire. I hear violence. I hear genocide. And it's why I don't vote. Well, and, and I'm, and I'm going to be honest with you. The closest thing that the United States and countries like it, and there is no real other country really like it, um, to democracy is is the idea that they can get a large segment of their population to keep voting with their dollars and keep consuming. Consumption is what they really use as justification for their claim to democracy. Just keep us fat and dumb and warm and driving fast and, and you know, just keep consumption us, is, keep us is doing the, the best... stuff that they've conditioned us to do. Consumption has been the best distraction from keeping people away from participating in community. It is an excellent way to divide people. It's an excellent yep. way to create hierarchy, even if it's through a fashion or aesthetic. It is an excellent way to divide people is through the uh, through consumption. If you can market consumption to the masses, you can have people wanting to consume as a means of culture. That's the U.S. The U.S. doesn't have a culture other than consuming. Uh, you know, this like this in, in, insatiable hunger. And we see that consumption through its expansion of an empire as well. It's, how, do you it's stop an incredible... terrorists, how, how do you stop the terrorists from winning? You go out and shop. Exactly. <laughs> like that's how I mean, like it's it, just so absurd. To even well, hear it, also, it, you know? it also it harkens to what we were talking about earlier, which is why people don't show up to the front lines is because we are so under the boot of capitalism. We're so fearful of not being able to afford things. We're afraid of not being able of have, having housing, which is a human right or not having health care, which is a human right, not having these things that are human rights. And therefore, we don't show up for something that is an atrocity to human rights. You know, it, it's the 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 cult of consumption that is the American middle class cult is truly that we all try to we all participate in some way, shape or form. And, you know, and, and many of us try to push back on it. But the, the 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 cult of consumption has really done so much to pull the veil over people's eyes, to keep them from activating within community, to keep them from organizing within community. And to, it also keeps keeps us dependent on the settler state. That is what is necessary for settler colonialism to function is a, a maintenance of dependency on it. And that's why I say don't buy from solar panel farms. Put your own solar panel on your house. <laughs> Stop feeding the beast. <laughs> Truly. Vegan, I am so glad that I was able to have this conversation with you. Um, and I'm hoping the listening audience appreciates it, too. Well, we'll be back next week. This is John Kane with Regan DeLoggins. And, of course, this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.